Welcome to the Abide Podcast, where our goal is helping others delight in Christ for the sake of becoming more like Christ with the hope of multiplying disciples of Christ. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Abide Podcast. This is episode number eight in our Story of the Bible series. And I'm really excited about this conversation today because I have Kristen Cummings here with me. She is the wife of Chris Cummings, who was on the first three episodes of this series. And so, Kristen, welcome to the Abide Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Kristen was on like some of the very first episodes that we did. And so it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Yeah. feels like it's been forever. I know. I'm really excited to have you back. Yeah, thanks. Me too. So we are going to be talking about the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, so all throughout this series, we've been talking about the story of the Bible and how the Bible is one unified piece of literature that all tells one story um, from different perspectives. And... We got done with our talk over the Old Testament last week with Emma. Um, We went over the prophets, and that took like seven episodes to get through the Old Testament, (laughs) which, I mean, it's the Old Testament. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, And so we are now going to make our way and venture into the New Testament. To kind of kick us off, I just want to start off by talking through where we have left off in this story. Um, So we have defined what the Bible is about by saying that the Bible is about God sharing his love and displaying his glory throughout all of creation. So what we've done so far is we have looked at different chunks of the Bible and how they do just that, how we see God's love and glory displayed in them. And we've kind of been talking through what we call the meta narrative. And the meta narrative of the Bible has four main parts, creation, fall, redemption, and then new creation. And we are now going to step into the redemption portion. We've been in this fall portion, and I mean, technically we're still under the fall, but (laughs) Jesus has come. Um, And so we are going to talk about this redemption portion and what that looks like, what it means, Um, and it's going to be a really fun conversation. And so last week, we ended by talking about how the Old Testament leaves us just kind of wanting more. We have seen so many characters, good and bad, and it's kind of just been a roller coaster of really high (laughs) highs and really low lows. And the very last chapter of the Old Testament, historically speaking, in Nehemiah, leaves off with the Israelites yet again failing. (laughs) Um, And wow. Yep, sounds about right. (laughs) That's just an awful place to leave off. Um, And even the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, leaves off by saying, hey, there's going to be one who is like Elijah and one who is like Moses who is going to come. And what I think is so cool is that um, when you turn the page from Malachi to Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, what you'll read, the very first verse of chapter one, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if you are reading the Bible cover to cover, when you read that sentence, there should be alarms going off in your mind because now what you see is that it mentions two people that you've read about so far, two people who God has set up a covenantal promise with. Mm -hmm. 
But there's someone else that is mentioned, this Jesus Christ. This is kind of a new character. Well, he's not really a new character. He's <laughs> been weaved throughout the entire Old Testament. But for the sake of this point, he is a new character being introduced. Yeah. And so you have to ask yourself, what is what is going on here? Um, and when you look back at the two people that it mentions, David and Abraham, what you see is that the promises that God made them has now come. Um, like this Jesus is the one who we've been waiting for. This Jesus is the one who is to fulfill all that we have been longing and looking for. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that you're doing this series. I think it's so important to really show exactly how the Bible all fits together. I think people sometimes think that the Old Testament and New Testament are very different. Mm. Um, and I mean, in some ways they are, but it very much is all one part of the same story. And so I think it's so important to kind of talk through, this is the same God, this is the same story. And you're right, like Jesus is a new character in some ways, but he really has been kind of alluded to this whole time and um, foreshadowed and, and prophesied that he's coming. Mm-hmm. And so this is really where we see that he's finally come. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting about the book of Matthew in general is that um, we were kind of talking before about how there's so many Old Testament quotes in all four of the Gospels, but really in Matthew as well, um, that kind of scream like, hey, this is the person you've been waiting for. Yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) So the books that we're going to be talking through are the first four books of the New Testament, And collectively, they're called the Gospels. So this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of stuff, um, let's go ahead and define what the word gospel means, because I feel like that's a very churchy word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kristen, how would you define the gospel? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is, again, really important, because I think people do have different ideas in their mind. Um, And so, you know, just... Really, the gospel does mean the good news, mm-hmm. um, and so that's kind of what we we believe that that this gospel is the good news that Jesus has finally come. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like a really vague term; it doesn't really mean anything if you don't, unless you actually know the story of Jesus. And right. so, um, really, the gospel includes everything from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and His saving mm-hmm. work through that. Yeah. So whenever people talk about the gospel, sharing the gospel, um, or how the gospel has changed my life, what they're talking about is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how it applies to us. Yeah, absolutely. So I've kind of already mentioned this, um, but in the meta narrative, the gospels fit in this kind of third major category called redemption. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of talk through what that means. What do we mean by redemption and why is it why is it where it is, I guess, in the story of the Bible? Because really, this is the apex of the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I agree. I think that we've seen some uh, kind of micro redemption and and salvation from God just throughout the Old Testament of he has stepped in and, and redeemed and saved the Israelites over and over and over. But mm-hmm. um, they've always been kind of temporary. Um, yeah temporary examples of of that redemption and then they end up kind of back in the same position that they were in before and so Mm -hmm. this is really where we see kind of the the true and final Mm -hmm. salvation where god's plan for his like ultimate redemption and and salvation of humanity really kind of comes to its fruition Mm -hmm. yeah and it comes to its fruition in the life death and resurrection of jesus absolutely all four of the books that comprise the Gospels 
are all about Jesus's life. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Jesus's life, why it was so important, and really what are the important things to know about Jesus? Because I think we can start off the conversation by saying no one really disputes the historical fact that Jesus was a real person. Yeah. Right. Like he is a historical figure, just like any other historical figure you learn about in a history class. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the conversation really shifts to not was Jesus a real person, but uh, what is true about who Jesus is. Yeah. Like who really was he? Right. Yeah. Right. Cause there's a lot of different opinions about that. There are, that's true. And you know, obviously as, Christians, we believe that Jesus was Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. um, that he is, that he has, you know, been resurrected and is kind of waiting on his second coming, but that he is Lord and Savior. And so, yeah. but I think there's a lot of people who just view Jesus as a good person, that he was kind of a an example and a model to follow um, of morality, um, mm-hmm. that he was just kind of a good person. But I, I think you really can't believe that like that there's just a lot of proof that that can't be true right this would be a really great time to bring up that kind of famous quote um from c.s lewis yeah so yeah i think when some people think that jesus was just this you know model of morality or he was a really good person like i think that his claims and the way he lived his life um, is the reason why C.S. Lewis says that he was either a lunatic, he was a liar, or he was Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, because he didn't say he was a good person. He said that he was the son of God and he was the savior of the world, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And mm-hmm. so um, if he really was just a good person, you don't say those things. You say, no. look, I'm a follower of God and you should be just like me. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. He made really bold claims. Mm-hmm. And so he either was completely crazy and just was out of his mind thinking that he had all these abilities and that he was the son of God. Yeah. Um, or he was a massive con artist trying mm-hmm. to convince everyone that he was the son of God and that he was the Messiah when there was no truth behind that. Or that there was truth behind who he was, that Mm -hmm. he was the son of God, that he was the savior of the world and that he is Lord of all. Yeah. There's really no way of getting around just believing that Jesus was like a good person. Yeah. Like a a good moral teacher. Like a good moral teacher doesn't claim to be the son of God. Right. And I mean, I think like just thinking about the 2000 years later, the implications of what he has, what he said. Mm -hmm. And so if you claimed that you were the son of God and and you weren't, I mean, you deceived millions and millions of people. Um, And so I I agree. I think that Jesus can't be just a good person. If he were, he would not have said the things that he said. And so I think because he did make those bold claims, you have to make a choice about Mm -hmm. what you believe about him, that he either was, you know, lying to everyone just absolutely crazy or he really was you know lord of the universe yeah yeah uh there's another quote by i think it's by aw tozer that says um what you think about god is the most important thing about you Mm. and uh i really think that that's true like what we think about who jesus was is going to shape our eternity oh Um, absolutely yeah i mean i think that the not to you know go on a total tangent but I think one of the most common beliefs in our society at this point is just as long as you're a pretty good person that mm-hmm. you'll end up in heaven and mm-hmm. um, 
and that's just not what Jesus said. And I think that like right. it, it really does come down to do you believe what he said and who he is? Yeah. Yeah, there's no way of reading the Gospels and coming out the other side thinking, oh, as long as I'm a good person, then I'll get into heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're you're reading the Gospels entirely wrong, or you're not reading the Gospels. You're yeah. reading something else. Uh-huh. It's not the Gospels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we obviously believe that Jesus was Lord. He was everything he claimed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not a lunatic, nor was he a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so some critical aspects about the person of Christ that I think we should talk through um, about his life, death, and resurrection specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the main things that, um, that people will bring up for talking about the life of Christ is that he was born of a virgin. I think a lot of people like to just hear the story of Jesus' birth because um, it's a fun story, like the nativity scene, all that stuff. But the th- Theological implications of Jesus's virgin birth are so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to get into like super deep theology here, but if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then he would have been born into sin. Like every other human being Mm -hmm. is born into sin. And if Jesus was to die in our place and take the punishment that we deserve properly, then he had to be sinless. Yeah. If he had sin, then he would be dying for his own sins, Mm -hmm. not everyone else's. So it was so, so crucial that he was born of a virgin and that he was without sin. Yeah. Yeah. A guilty person can't take on the guilt of another person. They're already guilty. Right. And then I think another thing to mention is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those concepts that I think is really hard for our finite brains to wrap our mind around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think if he wasn't fully man, then he wasn't dying for human beings, mm-hmm. right? Like he had to become a human being to die for human beings, right? Yeah. Um, but he also had to be fully God because no human being alone can withstand the wrath of God. Yeah. Um, your husband actually likes to say the the, the phrase, um, it was only an act of divine love can satisfy divine wrath. Mm. Um, and he's right. Like there is absolutely, I mean, you look at the Old Testament, there is no one who can withstand the yeah. wrath of God. And so it was vital that Jesus was fully man because he was dying for human beings mm-hmm. and fully God so that he could take on the wrath of God and also um, come out the other side. Yeah. I think that's such a cool, I agree. I think it's really hard for us to kind of wrap our head around those two things together that God, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Um, but I think it is so cool that like he didn't, halfway take on humanity that he didn't have Mm. some kind of I don't know like lesser version of our experiences Mm. that like he really lived it and he lived it as a human that Mm -hmm. he didn't you know say okay well I'll go walk the walk and talk the talk but like all the while knowing like I'm really God I can do whatever I want in this moment that like he really kind of took on all of humanity and set aside some of that I mean he was fully God but had to set aside a little bit of that Mm -hmm. to take on, you know, full humanity to be able to live this, the human life and to be able to take on our sin for us. Yeah. And I think that's so comforting for the person who is suffering Mm -hmm. because, um, 
I mean, when you read any of the gospels, any of the four of them, you will see Jesus suffering Mm -hmm. in it and modeling what it looks like to suffer well. Um, and I mean, you see Jesus crying with people, you see Jesus persecuted. I mean, they killed Jesus. Like they literally nailed him to a cross Mm -hmm. and killed him. And, um, and so Jesus has experienced all of the pain and suffering that we have experienced. And so he is able to sympathize mm-hmm. and, and empathize with us. Yeah. What's that verse that talks about the, we have a great high priest who was, who was tempted, but yet was without sin mm-hmm. that he has walked what we've walked that it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, I agree. I think that's a huge comfort knowing that this Jesus that we put our hope in, understands our struggles and he understands our pain that it's not just you know this far away god that is kind of this greater than thou obviously he is he's holier and he's holy like none other and powerful Mm -hmm. but still he he chose to step into that and fully like endure far more than any of us endure yeah i mean we're talking about the god of the universe who can do literally anything Mm -hmm. um but what he chose to do was to step out of his heavenly throne, to step out of heaven, to come down and meet us where we are, meet us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our mess, mm-hmm. um, and experience all of that yeah. so that he could die. Yeah. Like, what kind of God does that? Mm-hmm. Only the God of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is, that's, I don't know. That's just, I, if anything shows God's love and glory the most, it's the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He is like the literal embodiment of God's love and glory on earth. And when I think that, you know, a lot of people who are kind of surface level familiar with different world religions, I think just say, oh, you know, they're all the same. It's just like <laughs> little differences here and there. But I think that like that in and of itself is what, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that, I mean, pretty much everything else is this belief of earning your way towards God and morality and being good enough. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, we just can't, Mm -hmm. like we can never be good enough. We can never earn God's favor. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, he knew that all along. It's Mm -hmm. not that this was a plan B, but this was his plan. And I think that, you know, seeing how you guys have walked through, the Old Testament leaning up to this, I think that becomes clear that this was the plan the whole time mm-hmm. that he was going to have to come down and rescue us, that we would never be able to make our own way to him. Yeah. And we kind of talked through that when we were talking through the fall in Genesis 3, how um, right after Adam and Eve sin and God confronts them, he confronts the serpent and mm-hmm. he he gives this promise of redemption um, saying how uh, an offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head, but in doing so, he would also be struck by the serpent. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see in Jesus's death and resurrection, that he um, is crushed by death, Mm -hmm. by the wrath of God for the, for the sin of the world. But he, he defeats death um, through his resurrection. Yeah. And so it has been the plan all along. And, and God has been very upfront and honest about, Hey, this is the plan. He's not trying to hide it from Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. And I think that's why, I mean, even right from Jesus's birth, you see that there are, you know, shepherds and wise men and like random other people in the temple who 
are already celebrating that this this child has been born Mm -hmm. that they it was made clear that like this baby is going to be the redeemer and the Mm -hmm. savior yeah yeah even his in his birth uh if you look at the birth narrative especially in matthew he pulls in a bunch of old testament verses Mm. um that talk about hey this is the prophecy being fulfilled this is what it, what Isaiah was talking about over here. Hey, this is the person. Yeah. I love that. I think that's one of my favorite things about reading through the gospels, obviously just seeing the heart and the character and the works of Jesus. But I think also seeing just how many times some of these old Testament prophets are referenced mm-hmm. that this isn't just a new story. This isn't just like a what in the world did where did this come from that there are so many places that the gospels reference back to show this was the plan all along mm-hmm. that you know i feel like when i'm reading the gospels i'm constantly flipping back to um it feels like a lot of times it's isaiah but um jeremiah and the psalms and that there's constantly these references back to look this was what was told this is what was coming mm-hmm. um and so it's cool to kind of read those side by side yeah so because we're kind of on the topic of um, Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament. Um, I mean, we could spend hours talking about this. There's <laughs> yeah. so much that Jesus fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but to point out just a few things, and I think these are few, a few of the major things, um, as we've been studying the Old Testament and talking through them, we've seen specific covenants that God made with specific people. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of these very like high points of like God promising um, to be faithful to his people, promising redemption through certain people and through um, certain means as well. And so kind of wanted to talk through three of those main ones just to get a glimpse of like, hey, this Jesus really is like who he says he is. So the first is the Abrahamic covenant. And we see this in Genesis 22 he says because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son i will surely bless you and i will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice and so there's kind of a couple key things in here one when he's talking about he has not withheld his son his only son Mm -hmm that's a foreshadowing of how God the Father did not withhold it. I mean, you think of John 3.16, right? Yeah. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yeah. Um, but then also when it says that uh, through your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I sometimes think about like, I mean, surely Abraham just had no idea what all that meant. Yeah. Like I, I think about like, you know, thousands of years ago when he had kind of this large nation of offspring that like, that was probably all he could have ever imagined mm-hmm. that even that would have been a stretch that he yeah. would have generations and generations and thousands of people that were related to him because God had made this promise. But even so much more than that, that through his lineage, that we would see the salvation of the world. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, it means so much more than just the 
Israelites and this kind of tribe of Abraham, but that now all of the nations of the world are, are blessed through this one of Abraham's offspring. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if Abraham, I don't really think that he knew. Uh, okay. So this means that Jesus Christ is going to be God in the flesh, going to go and die on a cross. Like, I don't think that Abraham knew all of that. Mm -hmm. But also Abraham is famously known um, to have believed the Lord's promises. And that is why he was counted as righteous. Yeah. Um, So he didn't know, like, all of the details, but he believed God. And so, I mean, through reading the rest of the Old Testament, you're like, um, the Israelites are set apart from the world. Like how are, how is, how are the world, how is the world going to be blessed through them? Yeah. And then you see Jesus come and there's two different genealogies of Jesus in the gospels. I think one is in Matthew and the other is in Luke, I think. Um, and they go through the lineage of Jesus back to Abraham. Um, and that kind of shows, um, Matthew 1, 1, we read that it was Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so this Jesus is the one who is the offspring of Abraham who will bring redemption and salvation to, to the world, to the nations. Yeah. Um, so that's just one. The next one that I want to talk through real quick is the Mosaic Covenant. And so this is seen in Exodus 19 uh, in verse 5. Is, is This is God talking and he says, uh, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, and so... I think that's interesting. Sometimes I think when we read the Old Testament, we can just read something like that and move on, uh, which is fair. But like we see this language mirrored in the in the New Testament as well. It's not in the gospel. It's in one of the epistles, actually. It's in First Peter. Um, but the epistles kind of help to clarify who this Jesus was. And so uh, in First Peter, it's talking about how Jesus was the cornerstone of the church and how he describes the church mirrors the Mosaic Covenant. He says the church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, which mirrors the exact language of the Mosaic Covenant here. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a problem. The Mosaic Covenant is a stipulation. It says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be all of these things. Which we've seen how that works out for the Israelites. (laughs) (laughs) So like, how did we get there? They were not faithfully obedient Mm -hmm. as we have seen. So how did we get there? Well, yeah, it's Jesus. Uh It's Jesus's obedience. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's, I think you have one more covenant that we're going to go through but Mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest difference between these old testament covenants and then the new covenant with christ is that they were all somewhat kind of dependent on humans to kind of play their part in it and Mm -hmm. we we know how that story goes we've seen how that plays out that we fail over and over and so um god is is faithful to his part of the covenants, but we never were. And, um, I mean, Abraham was righteous, but, you know, as a human race, Mm -hmm. especially when you look back at the Israelites, but even when you look at now, like Mm. we are not naturally a holy nation. We're not naturally a righteous people that, you know, we turn away from God over and over and over. But then when you see this new covenant with Christ, that he takes on 
all of the burden of the covenant that mm-hmm. he makes a way um, mm-hmm. even despite our, our sin and our kind of waywardness. Yeah. Um, and that that's why it's so important that Jesus was sinless because if he wasn't sinless, then he would have broken the covenant. He would have broken the laws that God mm-hmm. had, had in place. And then we'd be right back where we started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And well, to kind of talk through that a little bit more um, in Matthew in chapter five, verse 17, he's talking about the law and he says, I haven't come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. So even Jesus himself is is saying, hey, like I have not come to make everything you have been living under obsolete. Like I have not come to make this, these laws and these um, rules like no longer meaningful. Um, but I've come to fulfill everything that you couldn't fulfill. Yeah. The last covenant that I want to talk about is the Davidic covenant. And this is actually, I was like studying this the other day and there's just like light bulbs going off in my mind. So I'm really (laughs) excited to like share this with you. But, um, so the Davidic covenant we see in second Samuel chapter seven, um, verses 12 through 16. So I'm going to read it and then, uh, kind of talk through how we see Jesus so clearly in this. Um, so starting in verse 12, it says, uh, this is God talking to King David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So right off the bat, when we read this, um, what we see is that God is promising King David, who is who we talked about was arguably the best king Israel ever saw, and, mm-hmm. and even he failed majorly yeah um but he's saying through you an offspring of like of yours will establish my eternal kingdom he will be the eternal king um so who is this this is talking about jesus yeah and we see this so clearly in so many different areas of this so first i want to bring your attention to in chapter or in verse 14 it says i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son well, we see that very clearly in the re- through the Gospels. We see the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, you can't read the Gospels without seeing how much the Father and the Son love each other. Yeah, They're constantly, like at Jesus' baptism, the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Um, and constantly Jesus is, is reflecting glory and love back to the Father. They have a father-son relationship. And we kind of talked about this as well with Chris. Uh, I think it was like the first episode talking about the Trinity and who God is. We've seen that the father and the son have been existing since eternity past forever in this loving relationship through the spirit. Yeah. And so Jesus was uh, a son to the father. Um, but, But now we come to a problem because it says when he commits iniquity, We've just spent so much time talking about how it's so important that Jesus did not sin. Mm-hmm. So is this not talking about Jesus? 
or did Jesus sin? What the heck is this talking about? Um, well, I'm going to go to another um, New Testament verse. It's also not in the Gospels, but it helps clarify who Jesus is. So it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus was positioned as sin on the cross mm-hmm. for our sake. He was sinless, but he was positioned as our sin. And so when it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with the stripes of the son of men. How did Jesus die? He was crucified by the Romans. Yeah. Right? And he experienced the full wrath of God because he was positioned as sin on our behalf. Yeah. That is how this is talking about Jesus here. That he wasn't the one who actually committed these sins, but he bore the punishment for these sins. Mm. Um, which that in and of itself, I think, shows how loving God is. That yeah. he would choose to take that on himself instead of pour that out over humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think that it shows this like beautiful balance of his love um how loving and how just he is that Mm. um you know god is all powerful and almighty um but he's he's just and so Mm. he couldn't just i mean he could do whatever he wants he can he's god but like he can only do things that are within his character and Mm. so he couldn't just wave a magic wand and you know make all the sin go away um i mean i guess he could but he would take us with it like we are sinful beings and so um there had to be a payment for the sin um to be able to for this to be just and the way that he made it also loving was he paid the price right and that's kind of how we see um how it says, uh, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Um, and this is a little bit hard to see because even Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like that doesn't sound like God's love is still with him. Um, however, and not to get into too deep of Trinitarian theology, because we can get into some weeds real quick here. Um, <laughs> but... The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all act in unity every single time they act. Like, the Father never acts without the Son and the Spirit also working. Um, They have distinct roles, yes, but they all act together. And so when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not that, that somehow Jesus was severed from the Trinitarian relationship, but it's as if God kind of turned his back on the Son. He's still in the presence of the Father, but the Father turns his back and he pours his wrath out on his Son. But what I think is also really interesting in this is that again, not to get too deep into Trinitarian theology, but the spirit is the like 
literal love of God. Um, mm-hmm. The Father and the Son love each other through the Spirit. That is how they love. And what Romans 8 tells us is that it was the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And so it was literally the love of God that raised Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was the love of God in Jesus that brought him to the cross. It was the love of God in Jesus that kept him nailed to the cross. And it was the love of God that right ra- that rose him from the dead. Yeah. And so you cannot look at the cross, you cannot look at um, Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection without seeing the love of God. I mean, I think that you see the love of God the most you can ever see it on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a um, a friend who lost an infant a couple years ago, and she told me that that was the one of the ways she has understood God's love the most clearly um, was because that's nothing that she would have ever chosen to do. She would have never willingly sacrificed her son for someone. And the the pain that she felt having lost a son, she was like, it just makes me understand the weight and the, the gravity of how much God loves us, that he was willing to do that, mm-hmm. that it, this wasn't just something that didn't, impact him because he's this almighty God that Mm. he, I mean, this was a huge sacrifice. This was still a painful thing to do, but he was that immense love Mm. for us and for his son. But that's how he showed this immense love for us was that he was willing to do this. Yeah. Also, uh, just talking through how we see the love of God in like the crucifixion and the death of, of Christ. Um, not only do we see it by Jesus willingly taking up this form of immense physical pain and torture um, and spiritual pain, but also one of, I think, the most powerful passages in the crucifixion account is in Matthew 27. And it's actually right after Jesus calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A couple verses down, it it says that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. So this is the picture. If you're not familiar with what the temple that the Israelites worshipped at, um, if you're not familiar with what that looked like, there was several different like layers to the, to it. And the, the Holy of Holies was in the centermost part of it. And it was surrounded by this curtain. And only the high priest could go into this place like once a year. And this is the curtain that was torn from top to bottom. And what I think is so fascinating and and how I think this displays God's love immensely is that it is now, um, is that God is now saying anyone now has the ability to come and be in my presence, in my Mm -hmm. most holy and most glorious presence. It is available to all without hindrance. Mm -hmm. Um, The moment Jesus died, that happened. And how beautiful is that? That everything, I mean, you read the gospel accounts and Jesus is is constantly foretelling his death and resurrection. Um, He's like, hey, I'm going to die and and I'm going to destroy this temple, but in three days I'm going to build it up again. And like, he's constantly saying like, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And what we see is in the moment that Jesus dies, everything that he said would happen came true. Um, And now everyone has access to God the Father. And it is because Jesus 
sacrifice himself for us. Yeah. That God's holiness cannot have things in his presence that are unholy or unclean, um, which is why they had the Holy of Holies that people could not enter in because it wasn't that God was like, this is my exclusive VIP lounge, (laughs) but like it just physically like our unclean and unholy presence cannot be or our own unclean and, you know, we cannot just, we can't be in his presence and right. with the extent of his holiness. But after Jesus's death that, I mean, he is able to present us as blameless and holy and pure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Right. And because he became sin on our behalf, the exchange that happens is he takes on our sin and we get his righteousness, mm-hmm. which is why we can now be in the presence of God is um, it, it's not because God can't be in the presence of sin. God can be everywhere, but it's because sin can't be in the presence of a holy God because it just can't stand. Yeah, absolutely. And and so now because of, of Jesus, we have the ability to be in that presence because we get to take on his righteousness and man, what a beautiful thing that is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was a long conversation about how Jesus has fulfilled different like aspects of the Old Testament. And those were just three. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many others. Um, so last thing I kind of want to talk about is the fact that there's four gospel accounts. Um, why? <laughs> like, why do we have four whole books talking about the same person, his same life? Mm-hmm. And in three of them, there's they're talking about the same things. Like they're talking about Jesus's same teachings, his same um, parables that he tells. Why is it important that we have four of these books in our Bible? Yeah. So I, you know, I actually really used to kind of struggle with this because there's some, not really discrepancies, but they're, they're told differently. Like, um, so there's some stories that are left out in certain accounts and, added in others and mm-hmm. you know there's they're just told a little bit differently so there's some stories that sound a little bit different mm-hmm. um in minor ways from gospel to gospel but i think actually it's really cool because it's they're told by four different people mm-hmm. that this is their account whether it was firsthand or it was an investigated um kind of interviewed and, and written out story of jesus's life mm-hmm. but it's different people's story of Jesus's life. And so actually, I think now just have a better understanding of what that looks like. Because I mean, you know, if my husband and I tell the exact same story, like our kid does something crazy, (laughs) we tell a story about it. We tell things very differently. And Mm -hmm. just because of details that we thought were important versus the other one. I mean, I feel like I interrupt Chris all the time telling him, oh, don't forget about, you know, you have to include (laughs) this detail. And he's like, why? But in my mind, it was a really important detail. Um, And so it's not that they, you know, things didn't line up or that they, you know, saw things differently, but it's just they remember it differently or Mm -hmm. they saw things that were really important to them and it wasn't important to someone else. And so I think there's actually a lot of beauty in, each person's account Mm. of Jesus's life. Yeah. And I think that also kind of shows the fact that living in community with others, 
we get to see Jesus so much more than if we were just by ourselves. because you see Jesus differently than I see Jesus, Mm -hmm. but I get to learn about him from your perspective. Yeah. And how beautiful is that? Yeah, absolutely. We see that modeled in, in these four gospels. So kind of talk through just a little bit really quickly about the differences and kind of the unique aspects of each gospel. Matthew, I think, wrote his gospel for the purpose of showing that Jesus is the Messiah that has been prophesied about. Um, He wrote really to a Jewish audience. We see the majority of the Old Testament quotations we were talking about. They happen in Matthew. Um, It's as if Matthew's being like, hey, listen up like like this is the guy um he also i think this is interesting um i actually just finished up a seminary course over the gospels and acts and um i didn't know this but uh it makes sense now but matthew wrote his gospel to mirror the five books of the Torah, he writes in like five chunks um, and they're called like the five discourses of Matthew. And so like in each one, he's there's specific like themes that he's hitting on in each one. Interesting. I didn't realize that. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Um, but it's, it is really cool. Um, and I think that plays into the fact that he was talking to a Jewish audience who the Jews if you read the gospel accounts, we're very skeptical of this person, of, of this Jesus' claim to be the coming Messiah because they thought he was going to come as some mighty conquering king and he came as a baby. So Matthew, he's basically saying, he's screaming at the Jews, hey, this is the promised Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything you read in Matthew's uh, gospel is probably going to point to that fact and and be tailored around that perspective. Yeah. Um, Mark has an interesting, uh, Mark is just really interesting. Mark kind of just jumps from one point to the next. He yeah. just is like, <laughs> all right, we're talking about this. Now we're going to talk about this and this and this. He goes, he moves very fast through yeah. his gospel and he really emphasizes the fact that God or that Jesus is God's royal servant who is, who's bringing God's light to the nations. Um, he writes to a Gentile audience and a big emphasis that Mark makes is that suffering is a part of discipleship, hmm. uh, that Jesus modeled what it looked like to suffer and that he also was very much upfront and preparing the disciples to suffer on his behalf as well. Um, So you're going to see that a lot in Mark. And in Luke, uh, this is also a gospel to a Gentile audience. And he really emphasizes that Jesus is this just new start for humanity. His genealogy of Jesus goes back to Adam, uh, which really shows the implications that Jesus's salvation is for everyone. Um, It has universal implications. And... This is also something I didn't know until I took this seminary class. So Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Mm-hmm. And Luke is the longest gospel by word count. And Luke and Acts together make up half or if not more than half of the New Testament. Interesting. Word count wise. Hmm. So Luke I had a lot know to that. say. Yeah. Yeah. Luke's chapters are just really long. Like, if you read Luke, you'll notice how long his chapters are. Yeah, because he had a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what's interesting about Luke's gospel is that it has a lot of unique material. So, like, you were saying how some gospel writers will include things that the other gospel writers don't. Luke does this a lot. Mm -hmm. And he does this with a lot of very popular and um, well-known accounts of Jesus. So, like, 
in Luke is the only place where you find the story of the Good Samaritan or the story of the prodigal son. Mm. These are only found in Luke. Jesus's famous, his famous words on the cross, Father, forgive them. That's only found in Luke. And also his conversation with the criminal on the cross saying, today you will be with me in paradise. That is only found in Luke. So I think it's just really interesting. And I think all of those speak to this universal implication of the gospel, Mm. that the gospel is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Yeah. And then you get to John and you'll (laughs) notice how it's very different from all of the other three. Mm -hmm. Um, That's because John's gospel was written mainly to claim Jesus or proclaim Jesus as Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is now in flesh And so it has this really high Christology, which is like a fancy word for saying like the role of Christ. Um, But everything that John writes really points to the signs that Jesus gives, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God in order to point you to belief in him. And he's very clear about that. Um, so this is where you find all of the I am statements. Um, you know, you, we see Jesus as the word of God. We see him as the begotten son of God. We see him as the sent one. Um, this is where he claims that he and the father are one. So it's just a lot of like, if you want to know the role of Christ, one in the Trinity, and the role of Christ just in general, read John. Because um, he highlights this a lot. Yeah, those are just some really fun facts (laughs) that I learned. Yeah, no, that's really helpful to know. I think it is good to have kind of an idea of the differences in the Gospels. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you should read all of them, but it sometimes can be a little bit confusing as to like where to start and and why they're different. And so I think that's really helpful to have that kind of overview of those things. Yeah. Well, and you don't need to know all of these, like how they're different from one another to understand what they're communicating and to understand and see the beauty of the life, death and resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think these are really fun. Um, I'm, I, I'm a huge, like fun fact person. So, yeah. um, but all four of them cover Jesus's death and resurrection um, I, intentionally. Yeah. I think John is the one that kind of reminds me the most that like, these were teenage boys following <laughs> Jesus <laughs> that like yep. they were not like polished theologians. They mm-hmm. weren't like, you know, mega church pastors. Like these were teenage boys who mm-hmm. were like competitive and like, I mean, they like fight with each other and they're like <laughs> with the savior of the world and yeah. they're like arguing about things and racing. And like, yep. I don't know. It's just kind of funny to see that like, yeah, these were like very much ordinary people mm. Um, and then going into like acts to see how the early church grows and changes. It's cool Mm -hmm. to see that like, I don't know what Jesus started with. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have just gone on a long tangent about the gospels and we didn't really spend a whole lot of time (laughs) in the gospels themselves. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would want to just mention about the Gospels, the life of Christ, um, how God's love and glory is displayed through him? I think the only thing that I would like to add, I guess, is just, you know, we talked a lot about how this is one continuous story, mm-hmm. um, that this is kind of the continuation of the plan. And um, this is where we see 
kind of the, like you said, the apex of God's plan, mm-hmm. that this is where the redemption takes place. But, um, and I think we see God's heart and his character and his glory all throughout the Bible. But I think it's really cool that in this section of the gospels, when we actually see Jesus's life on earth, I think there's some ways that we get to see God's glory and his character in, in unique ways that we don't see when we're just looking at God the Father. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is really cool. And you mentioned it earlier, but just kind of going back to like, we get to see Jesus's compassion and we get to see um, how gentle and kind he is. And Mm -hmm. so I think that these are, I know that these are traits and characteristics of God that have always been present. But Mm -hmm. when you see this holy, majestic, powerful God, I think that sometimes we lose sight of these other characteristics of God. And I, I think it's really cool to get to focus in the gospels on how Jesus exemplifies those things when you see the way he interacts with other people. Yeah. Yeah. His interactions with people are so beautiful Mm -hmm. and sweet and kind, and they can also be really sassy at times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But all pointing back to like Jesus's humanity and he, how he experienced everything we experienced, but he also loved people perfectly. He yeah. loved people better than we will ever love people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and good thing that he does. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I just think it's cool to to see, you know, the gospel, the gospels in light of the whole Bible, but just getting to focus on, you know, what that short period of time while Jesus was on earth looked like and how we got to see the way he lived and inter- interacted and then ultimately, you know, was willing to sacrifice everything for us. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned a short period of time. This is another fun fact, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but I think I read it somewhere talking about how um, all of the account of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible, so out of all four Gospels, we only have about 30 days of Jesus' life. Interesting. Written down. That's so interesting. Well, and I think, you know, I can't remember if it was which of the Gospels said that... um, you know, there wouldn't be enough books or pages in the world to mm-hmm. to fully tell the whole story of Jesus's life that yeah. I think about, you know, just what it would have been like to see mm-hmm. in those few years of his ministry, yeah, all that he did and all that he was. And, yeah. um, but it's cool that we have such a beautiful glimpse of who he is in just these few stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been such a fun conversation getting to talk about the life of Christ and what that means for us. And I know we spent a whole lot of time in the Old Testament when we're talking about the Gospels, um, but I think it's just so important to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire biblical narrative. Um, So thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. I will see you next week as we talk through pretty much the rest of the New Testament. (laughs) That feels a little bit more daunting, but sounds good. I'll see you next week.